Alright, let's get moving here. This is episode 19 of A Secret to Everybody. As always, I'm Ben, and I thank you for tuning in this week. We got a little bit to talk about this week, so we'll jump right into it. Steam sale is behind us. The Steam sale of 2013, the summer. I hope you got some good deals. It ended on July 22nd, which was this past Monday. Uh, I picked up a few games. I got Braid, I got Gunpoint, Bastion, To the Moon, Starseed Pilgrim, They Bleed Pixels, and a DLC pack for the game Stealth Inc., A Clone in the Dark, which is the new name of the game. I found that was a pretty good deal. Uh, I didn't spend any more than $10 on any one of those games. In fact, I spent, I think, less than 20 total. So it was good. I've been I've, I've had my eye on Gunpoint since it came out, and I wanted to get it, so I figured while it was lower, it was a perfect time to do it. And I heard some of those other games were really good, and for just a couple of dollars each, why not? Adam actually recommended To the Moon on one of his indie games of the week. You can read his reviews on those if you haven't. Star Select is actually not doing podcasts this week because they were having some tech problems, so if you need to get your fill from them, you can listen to some old episodes, or you could read some of Adam's indie game reviews, anything like that, to have your fill. And uh, so yeah, so I'm. I talked about Braid way back in week two when I talked about indie games. I, I played that on my PlayStation a few years ago, and I was unable to finish it. And so I wanted to make sure I bought it while I could on PC. I wanted to own it, so I got it for a couple dollars. And I actually finished it in one day because I had done about 80, 80 or eighty-five percent of the puzzles. The ending was pretty cool, and it's not. I don't totally understand it, which I'm kind of glad I don't, because it's kind of nice to have like some mystery that not, not everything is tied down for you. But it's a great game, and as I said before, I really can't wait for Jonathan Blow's next game, The Witness, so definitely keep my eye on that. And Gunpoint will probably be the next game I get around to playing, hopefully, because I really do want to play that. Uh, let's highlight the tech topic for this week. Last week we did LastPass, which was the password manager. If you missed that, definitely check out that episode, because I talk about how you can use that. It's a really nice tool. This week I am actually going to tie... This week's tool actually ties in with LastPass. This week's tool is called Google Authenticator. Now, there's a, this is two-step verification in general. I'll mention something else at the end here that's not technically used with Google Authenticator, but it's still nice. What it is is Google Authenticator is an app that has official versions on Android, BlackBerry, and iOS, as well as some third-party ports on a Windows phone and other OSs if you have one of those. Google doesn't provide an official build, but you can probably find one that'll work just as well. What the app does is it works as a two-step authenticator for any of your accounts. So, like, say your Google account would be a natural one to set it up with. You would log on to your Google account, and by default, when you log in to your account, you need your email, your username, and your password. And once, if someone knows that, they can sign into your account. So what you would do with the Google Authenticator app is you would set it up with your Google account, you would go into your security settings and enable two-step verification, and then it tells you to install the app on your phone, and it gives you a code to scan so you can link it with your phone. So once you do that, you, what you're doing is enabling a second step with which to log into your account. So if so if sometime I someone stole your password from your Google account, after they typed it in on the login screen, they would see a screen that says enter the code from your phone. And assuming they didn't have your phone, they would not be able to get in. So anyone that doesn't have your phone effectively cannot be in your account. Uh, some other services that work with the Google Authenticator app, it works with your Google account, but it's not limited to that. You can use it with Dropbox. LastPass, which is what I talked about last week, which is really secure, because if you make a really secure master password for LastPass, and you have the Google Authenticator app backing that up, no one's going to be able to get in. It also works with WordPress, which is the website, which is the service we actually use to run StartSelect.net. I do have Google Authenticator on my WordPress account, so no one can log in as me. And it also works with Facebook. Now, Facebook's two-step authentication, they want you to use their mobile app, which means, like, if you, whatever, if you have iPhone or Android, there's a on the side menu where you would go to like your messages and pictures and all that. At the very bottom, there's a code generator tab. 
you can use that, but if, if you don't want to use that, there's a very easy way you can find that online. Basically, you just use a code from Facebook and register it with your Google Authenticator app, and then you have your login on there for Facebook. It's very easy. Twitter also does two-step authentication, but they don't support Google Authenticator right now for some reason. I don't know why, but they, ha they do it by text message. And Facebook works the same way, too, if you don't have a smartphone. Google, I think, I'm, I believe will, Google will do the same thing, too. So with Twitter, as soon as you log in, you are asked to enter a text, you're asked to, it'll text you a code and you have to enter that and it changes every time. It's just to keep people out of your account that aren't you. I really recommend this app and a service in general for any, any account you use that will allow it, I would definitely advise you to set it up. If you use Evernote, if you're an Evernote Premium member, you can use two-step authentication with Google Authenticator right now. If you're a free member, that's coming soon. That's another, that's another one that came into my mind makes your account much more secure because with username and password anyone out there can find your password and if you're still using insecure passwords and not taking my tips from LastPass last week it'll be even easier to take your account over also what you can do it's nice is you can choose not to require a code on a trusted computer which means if your computer is pretty secure physically and you don't think anyone will ever get up on it get like come to your computer if it's in your house or whatever you can check a box that says don't ask for codes again on this computer and it's nice because every other computer still will so once I, like if I'm on my laptop I don't I don't want to worry about a code because it's me on it anyone else on any other computer in the anywhere will still be asked for a code so you're not really making yourself less secure it's just a convenience for you so yeah, if, you, if it annoys you on your computer you always use, you can turn it off from there. So the app's totally free, it's really easy to use, it's as simple as scanning a code and entering one, uh, scanning a QR code and then entering one set of numbers it gives you just to make sure that it's working correctly and then it's there. The code changes every, I think, 30 seconds and you don't even have to be connected to the internet. Like if, you, if you're not on Wi-Fi, if you have an iPod Touch and you're not on Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter because the, the code, the thing still keeps going, you can be in airplane mode and it's still working. So definitely recommend that, Google Authenticator, set it up with whatever accounts you would like to use. There is a list on the Wikipedia page that will tell you all the accounts it's capable of. I just wanted to highlight the most popular ones. So I definitely recommend that. So that's pretty much it for small stuff this week. So we're going to jump into our main topic. It's going to be about licensed games this week. And I a technical definition of a licensed game straight from a website is any game based on a story or character from another medium, such as a movie, comic book, or TV show. So I'm sure everyone knows there's hundreds and thousands of games based on movies alone every year. 99% of these games are absolute trash. The problem is they're churned out quickly so they can release them at the same time as the movies because they want to make a quick buck. So instead of actually working on the game for a long time and it's like, oh, that's a, you know, instead of it being, we'll take an idea from a movie and make a sweet game out of it because if it, I mean, you gotta admit, some movies would make cool games. All they do is third-party publishers that are just trying to make money rush a game to come out with a movie and then it's garbage, but people buy it. The only people that buy it are probably people that are really into the movie and then they end up getting bummed anyway because it's a lame game. But sometimes, developers and publishers can take a beloved character and actually make a pretty good game out of them. So my, my definition of a licensed game is, I mean, pretty much what I just read, it's any game that's based on something else. So, Mario is not a licensed game because Mario is a video, video game character. But... Spider-Man game is a licensed game because Spider-Man comes from somewhere else other than video games. So that just so that's clear. So first, we're going to take a look at three of the best licensed games, according to me. I mean, there's there's a lot of other ones. I'm not saying these are the only three good ones, but in no particular order, here's three that I've really enjoyed. The first one's Batman: Arkham City, came out in 2011. The game is a sequel to Batman: Arkham Asylum, which was released two years earlier. I actually never played that game. I've heard it's really good, and I've been meaning to play it, but I haven't had time. Batman Arkham Asylum is more of a... They're the same gameplay style, with, as in, like, the fighting, but Arkham Asylum is more of a... 
slightly more linear, like a, you start here and you have to get through... Arkham City is, is a very open-world game, something like Assassin's Creed or Far Cry, or it's you, you can do whatever you want type, type idea. I believe, honestly, the Batman Arkham City is the model every licensed game should follow. I'm not saying everyone needs to be a open-world game, but I'm saying the way they did this game is just perfect. It makes you feel like Batman. It's a really fantastic atmosphere. It's dark, not not in an evil way, but just in a Batman Gotham City way. Great controls, a really fun fighting system that rewards you for innovating and has a ton of different moves. It makes for a winning game, in my opinion. A lot of Batman's villains are present, even a few friends. They're just as believable as everything else. I, I mean, I, just... The thing about it in the game, Arkham City is a section of Gotham City that's been tailored off as a, as a, a prison where inmates are walk, or can just walk around freely in that section of the prison. Of course, it's heavily guarded. Now, the big villains that you know from the Batman series, like the Penguin, the Joker, Two-Face, they rule certain areas of the city. So when you're in a certain part of the city, the thugs are kind of dressed like, like, like if it's a Joker area, the thugs are wearing Joker masks, kind of like in the Dark Knight movie. If it's a Two-Face area, the thugs are wearing masks that are split two faces, kind of like Two-Face. So it really adds an atmosphere to the game. Like, you feel like you're actually, it's an unbelievable area. And there's a lot of small-time thugs in the area that are just, when you're walking, you have like a, a radio where you can listen in on what they're saying. And it's all funny stuff. It's, it's, it's believable. The characters are interesting. It's it's fun to it's fun to play. It makes you feel like Batman. Like I said, the controls are really good. Everything handles nicely. There's no gimmicky like you know. Oh, you can throw the battering, but it never does anything. The game rewards stealth, kind of like I talked about in Far Cry 3, where you don't have to play stealthily, but if you do, it's a lot of fun. It's the same way with this game. You can just barrel in and try to kill everybody, but it's a lot more fun to like try to jump on this guy and take him out silently. That kind of thing. Different playable characters. You can play as Catwoman, and there's also DLC where you can play as Nightwing, and I believe Robin. It's, it's a good long game. There's a lot of extra stuff to do. Like, there's Riddler puzzles that are completely optional. It's still fun to play after the game, because <clears throat> there's, there's a new game plus mode, where you play again with all of your weapons and upgrades, but the enemies are way stronger. It's harder to fight. There's an arcade battle where you have to try to you know, get streaks of enemies and things like that. It's a really great game. Seriously, if you haven't played it, you, you absolutely have to play this game, unless you, for some reason, hate Batman or open-world games, which I would excuse. I, I can't think of any licensed game that's better than the Batman Arkham City. And again, I, I'm sure Arkham Asylum is just as good, but Arkham City is the one I've played, and Arkham Origins is the next one that will be coming out, I believe, this October. I'm not sure what the style of that game will be. I know very little about it, but I would probably recommend that one, too. So, if you like open-world games at all, if you're even remotely a fan of Batman, play this game, because it's, it is exemplary. Second one, and again, these are in no particular order, is actually a game, Spider-Man 2, this was out in 2004. I never owned this game, but I had a friend that did, and we actually really enjoyed it. I really don't like Spider-Man 2, the movie. I, I like the first one, but the second one is just, it's too depressing, and I just, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of Doc Ock, but the game is a lot of fun. Like Arkham City does, it makes you feel like Spider-Man in the game, and now it's on the GameCube, so it's a little bit weaker, but the range of moves is really awesome. Like, when you first start out, you don't have much, but you have the high jump, you can climb up you can climb up buildings, then you upgrade your moves, you're able to swing further, shoot more powerfully, things like that. Especially considering this game was out on the GameCube PS2 era, so that's that, that's even another factor in its favor. It's, an, again, an open-world game, and I'm not saying every licensed game should be open-world, but it, it just happens to be. It's a cool open-world, there's a lot to do, it's not super dense, like Arkham City is pretty dense, like you can walk for a, a few seconds and you'll see something to do whether it's someone to beat up or someone to rescue or a puzzle to solve 
Spider-Man 2 is not quite as dense as that, but there is still a lot to do, especially considering it's a GameCube game. And it's just plain fun to fly, fly, glide along buildings with your webs, climb up stuff, climb on top of the Empire State Building because it takes place in New York, all that stuff. And some of the original voice actors were in the game too, which is nice, like Tobey Maguire plays Spider-Man and Peter Parker, which, you know, adds some realistic, makes it feel less cheap. So I'd say this game is an early example, and by early I mean in my lifetime, an early example of how to do it right. Not a perfect game, I mean the story's not amazing, and you know, the gameplay can get repetitive a little bit, and the graphics aren't beautiful, but for the GameCube, it's a, it's a good game, and I, I would still recommend it now. And my, the third one is sort of a series, but I have two particular games in mind. It's the Tony Hawk's series. They ran, they ran from 1999, and the most recent one was released in 2012. Uh, technically, Tony Hawk is a licensed game because Tony Hawk's a real person, so I'm calling it a licensed game. Uh, you can make an argument that it's not, but whatever. I was going to use another game, but it was kind of a generic one, so I decided to go with this one. I only had a few games in this series. There have been a lot, and this game is starting, well, is already the same problem that a lot of people have with, like, Madden, where it comes out every year, and it's only a little bit different, like, with roster changes and maybe a new mode. A lot of people have the same problem with the Tony Hawk games. I understand that. I'm not a diehard fan of the series, but I have a, I've, I've played a few, and I've enjoyed them. My two favorites were Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, which I had on GameCube, and Tony Hawk's Underground 2. I actually had Underground 2 Remix, which is on the PSP. Same as Underground 2, with a few extra maps and players. I always found the goals in this game to be pretty cool. Like, in the Pro Skater games, they were timed, where you had two minutes, and, like, you went into a world, and there were ten goals. And it was always, like, get a get a high score, get a pro score, get a six score, collect all the letters of skate, and then, like, find five what items. And there were always five different goals for the level. Like, one was, like... I'm trying to think of one. One was, like, fix the guy's cable. Like, the level was, like, in a, su- a suburban place. And that was fix the guy's cable box. And you had to figure out that there were tree branches inside this guy's cable lines. And to knock them off, you had to grind the wires and then knock the branches out and his cable was fixed. And then after you did that, you could hear, like, boo, 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 like the lights going off in the windows and stuff. And you would see that he was watching TV. Like, it was just cool. I I always enjoyed the goals because it wasn't just, like, do a bunch of tricks. It was, like, you had to figure out some stuff. And the worlds weren't very big in Pro Skater 3. In later games, they got bigger. But I I always enjoyed that game. I I played... I played it a lot. With real skaters, that's kind of cool. I don't skate, so I don't know a lot about real skaters, but there were actual pro skaters in the game, which is nice. You know, a nice variety of levels. It was fun. It was funny. What was that else I was going to say here? Yeah, so once the series... Once we got off the pro skater games, there were four of those... Once it got out of those, it did drop the time limit. It went to the Underground games. I haven't played Underground 1, but I did have Underground 2 Remix, and I really enjoyed that one as well. See, this one, it had a classic mode, which is what I just described, where you have two minutes in a level. And that was fun, too, but it also had a story mode, which is where it was a linear story where your character was going on a tour with Tony Hawk and another guy to try to cause destruction. But in the game, like, the goal... There was an open world, and there were a lot... There were a lot more goals, and there, it was also, like, more... Just kind of do what you want. And, like, in these games, you can get off your board, which is cool. It offers more freedom and more... It's easier to do certain things. But the worlds are a lot bigger, and there's a ton of goals. It's a lot of fun. You, there's a lot to do in the game. There's secrets to uncover. There's always a lot of cool hidden characters, from Shrek to Darth Vader, Kelly Slater. I mean, there's a lot... There were a lot of recognizable characters. Wolverine. So it's really cool. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it even more without the time limit. It was made for a fun PSP game. 
it's not at all a realistic game. I mean, it, you know, you can grind for a super long amount of time, and it's like, you know, you can you jump up 50 feet and fall, and you're perfectly fine. So it's not realistic, like, sk- it's the skate series, but it's, it's a fun game. I don't, I'm not into skating at all, like I said, and I still do enjoy them. Every one lasted me a good while that I played. And, and, and also, there's cheats that you can use in the game, usually after you finish it, but there's cheats, anything from, like, you know, you, you, like, grind forever where you don't have to balance yourself to moon physics where you jump like you're on the moon. And it just adds fun to the game. It lets you get to places you never thought you could go before. And it's just fun to screw around. Some fun multiplayer, too, just local multiplayer. One game I wouldn't recommend of that series, though, this isn't this isn't on the bad list of licensed games, but Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. That I did not enjoy that when I got that one on the GameCube. It was too... It just felt too forced. Like, it wasn't... The game's tagline was no loading times, but it was stupid because there were loading times. You just had to sit on a subway to go from place to place. So it was it was kind of dumb. And the game wasn't really that fun. But if you want a good Tony Hawk experience, I would say Underground 2 Remix, if you can get it, is the best way to go. Okay, now let's talk about the bad licensed games. Now, it seems that recently, especially on systems like the Wii, there have been a lot of third-party licensed games. Not every third-party game is licensed. Like, there's just, like, you know... For carnival games and stuff like that that aren't licensed, but not everyone is. But the problem with I have like the Wii, we've talked about with the casual games, it's, it opens the door for a lot of licensed games. But there are a lot of licensed games on the PlayStation and the Xbox as well. But even back in the old days, like of the NES, they were still making crappy games based on movies back then to make some money. And interestingly, all three of the games I picked from here are from from before 2000. So, take that as you will. Now, bear in mind, there are hundreds of these th- games that are really bad. I picked three of the ones that I can make the most fun of, and and three ones that are... Well, two that are fairly well-known, one that might not be quite as well-known if you're not into this kind of thing. So, again, no particular order. Let's talk about three really bad licensed games. Our first one is Superman from 1999. You probably know this game is Superman 64. It's technically not called that. The, c- the cover actually didn't... Like, most game covers have a name. Superman 64 just had a picture of... Superman like pulling his shirt open with you know and had the he had the suit on, so everyone knows it's a Superman 64, but technically it's called Superman. Came out in 1999. This game here is a great example of how not to make a video game. I mean, where can I even start? The graphics are puke-inducing. I mean, it's Superman looks like a crash test dummy. I mean, the draw distance in the game, which if you don't know what that is, that's the distance to where the game loads and you can see things, which is like you know, when there's mountains. Oh, and the distance when you're walking, the draw distance is how close you can see those mountains. If they're super far away, then the draw distance... If you can see stuff from really far away, the draw distance is good. If it has, if it's loading and you can constantly see stuff popping up and it looks terrible, that's a bad draw distance. So the draw distance to Superman is absolutely terrible. Made the Atari 2600 graphics look good in comparison. And there's a stupid kryptonite fog over the entire map, which was just completely unnecessary. The game plays like a test demo for an actual game. The story is non-existent. Lex Luthor is taking your friends, and to get them back, you have to fly through rings. And the controls are so broken. I mean, you have a better chance playing with your feet trying to beat this game than than with your hands, because the controls are so bad. The control stick is super sensitive. The time limit is so restrictive, you'll probably need to train for an hour just to beat one level. And if you mess up at any point, you got to go back to the very beginning of the entire game. And in the second level, it says... 
save pedestrians and there's cars driving towards two people, you have to fly in and grab the cars and throw them away. But it gives you literally like six seconds to pick both cars up and toss them. And then the instructions are on the screen to tell you what to do for like not even a full second. So it's like, what the heck do I do? By the time you figure out you're supposed to move, you have to go back to the very beginning and fly through the stupid rings again. The game includes a training mode, but all it is is the exact same thing as the main game. There's a t You have to fly through the rings, but there's still a time limit. What's the point of a training mode that's the exact same thing? No matter what you do, do not play this game. Horrible controls, puke-inducing graphics, the gameplay is stupid, It's not the story's lame. We could have had an open-world Superman game, we could have had an action-fighting game, but we got this piece of crap. Don't play this. Our second one is E.T. on the Atari 2600, this was in 1982. This is a big one. Maybe even more than Superman 64, this game almost single-handedly brought down the game industry. I'm sure you've heard of the Great Game Crash of 1983. That's when we thought it was going under, and Atari started to go downhill. The story behind E.T. is that there were some negotiations that they were trying to secure the license. Again, like when, you say, when I say a licensed game, Joe Schmo can't just decide that he wants to take Star Wars and make a game out of it. He has to make sure that LucasArts or Disney or whoever owns it now is, is allowing them to make to use their characters to make a game. So Atari, whoever made this game, they didn't secure the rights to make it until late July of 1982, which gave the guy that made it, he only had five weeks to develop the game because they wanted to get it out in time for the Christmas season in 1982. So he, bar he barely had over a month to make this game, which shows you why it's so terrible because they, they spend way more time on games than that nowadays. I mean, everything I'm going to say here has already been said a thousand times. It's all over the internet, but... I mean, this game dumps you in, you have absolutely no idea what to do. I mean, E.T. is like a bunch... I mean, again, it's Atari, so you can't criticize the graphics too much, but Atari is... or E.T. is just a bunch of blocks. I mean, it resembles E.T., I guess, that's alright. You wander around and fall into pits that take a long time to get out of. You have to, like, hold the button as E.T. floats up. If you don't let go at the right time, you drop back in. It's monotonous, it's tedious, it's a chore. It's not fun at all to play. It's so bad... Millions of copies of this game are supposedly buried in a landfill in New Mexico. They took truckfuls of the game and just buried them and crushed them in a landfill because it was so bad. Don't know if it's true, but I've heard the people are going to be going out there to excavate and see if it actually did happen. But that's how bad this game is. I mean, the graphics are ugly. The background looks like someone took a took a blade of grass, zoomed in with a microscope, and then turned it into Atari graphics. I mean, it's like just yellow and green dots. The pixel detection is insane. See, what happens is there's these holes, but if E.T.'s body, if one pixel of E.T.'s body overlaps with one pixel of the hole, you fall in. So it's not like you, you have feet you can see where you're going to fall in, you just, if you touch it, you're in. The story, which isn't even really there, you're supposed to find pieces of a phone so you can phone home, but to do this you have to fall into these wells or pits, so it's a total guess where you're supposed to go, you're just flopping into pits, oh, there's no phone piece there, float back up, pick another pole, pick another hole. It's really, it's pathetic. E.T. has this life bar, which is constantly draining. Anytime you do anything, walk, fall into a pit, hover up, run away from someone, it's always draining. So you have a limited time to figure out what the heck you're supposed to do. And there's no replay value to this game. If you ever finish this turd of a game, you would have more fun finding a creative way to destroy the cartridge than you ever would in playing it again. Third one is Ghostbusters. This was in 1988 on the NES. E.T. was really bad, this game might be just as bad. I'll try to break it down for you. We have the graphics. They're putrid. Everything is gray and depressing, it doesn't make you want to play it at all. Nothing looks good. The overworld map is a complete mess, the buildings are just... 
dots with gray in them. The characters barely look like people. The ghosts are laughably stupid. Nothing is fun to look at in this game. It's gray everywhere. For the music, you get to hear a nice 8-bit version of the Ghostbusters theme. That's pretty cool, right? Well, it is until you realize that it plays through the entire game. It never stops playing, no matter when you're driving, or on the overworld map, or catching ghosts, or in the store. It's always playing. It never stops. It's on constant loop. It's dreadful. The sound effects are practically non-existent. You get beeps and bops that would be more at home on the Atari 2600. And when they do exist, they're stock. They're just just—they're not creative sounds that could have been cool. There's boop, boop, boop. At least you get this nice voice to greet you when you turn the game on. You know, it's not bad for the NES. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but it's probably the best sound effect this game has. But the gameplay in this game is the worst offender of all. The graphics are terrible, music's bad, but the gameplay is inexcusable. So you start on this main map of the city, and you control just the Ghostbusters logo floating around. Don't ask me why. You float around, you wait and move around until a building starts flashing, and then you realize you have to go there. So you have to move your icon, your Ghostbusters icon, which I guess represents you guys, to the to the house. So when you do that, you better do it fast, because if you've got about a few seconds, and then the, the house stops flashing, you got to sit around again. So that's stupid. So once you finally do that, you go to the house, and then once you like activate that, you have to, you have to go through a driving scene. Now, in this game, you have money. What you should probably do at the beginning, you have to buy traps for the ghost, you have to buy vacuums and some other things. And so, you have to manage your money. You get money from catching ghosts. So it's like, it's stupid. You have to spend money to catch ghosts so you can earn more money to catch ghosts. It's, it's thinking in a circle. But anyway, so you have to go into this driving scene and where you're driving and these drivers, like these other cars are just randomly driving all over the road and if you hit them, you lose money, which is annoying. Then you have to hit oil barrels on the street to make sure you keep up your gas because if you don't do that, you'll lose and get a game over, which you'll probably want when you're playing this piece of crap. When you finally get to that, you get a really weird scene where you catch the ghost where you just set up a trap and you use this awkward control to have to like switch between two guys catch the ghost put them in the trap it's stupid so once you do all that you get some money and then you sit around and wait for the another building to flash it, it, you just keep repeating that until finally the game decides oh you're allowed to go into the final building and then when it does you better move because if you don't get over there it's the same thing as the other buildings it's going to stop flashing and when it does you're not going to be able to get in you got to sit there for another half hour it's it, it's pathetic it doesn't make any sense so once that, all that finally happens, you're in the final building. In this building, you have to climb close to two dozen sets of stairs and, while dodging ghosts. But don't worry, they didn't leave this to be nice either, they screwed this up too. How would you think you would want to climb stairs in a video, in an NES game? The control pad, like left is left and right is right? No. Whoever programmed this piece of trash, you have to hit the A button to go up the stairs and the B button to go back or down the stairs. And you don't just hold it in, and you slot, you have to a, 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 you have to mash the button to go up the stairs. You're going to go through almost two dozen sets of stairs. Your thumb is going to be a, a big open blister. I mean, I hope you had a turbo controller if you were playing this, or you had thumbs like... Even if you had thumbs like lightning, your thumb would still be, like, burned off from doing this. I'm telling you, the people that, made, that decided on how to do this, they were either completely incompetent and had absolutely no idea how to make a video game and what you should do when you're doing that and what the control should be, or they were intentionally trying to make this game an awful experience for all who touched it. I really don't know, because Mitch, it, 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 it's so bad. I mean, you're, you're never going to get to the top of this thing without cheats. And, they, and then they, and they include little tools to help you, like ghost bait or whatever. You throw it down to the bottom of the screen, the ghosts go down to the bottom, and then when they're down there with the stuff, when you're trying to climb up, the screen scrolls at the top and the ghosts come with them. It's like you can't get away from this. It's complete luck. 
whether you're going to make this or not. And then if the ghost hit you three times, you're dead and the entire game starts over. And then you want to throw the cartridge out the window because it's a big waste of time. And then, after you get to the top of the building, you have to fight the final boss, which is a joke. And then once you do that, your, your reward for finishing this turd is a one screen of awfully translated white text. And it says, I, and I'm quoting this, Congratulation! You have completed a great game and proved, P-R-O-O-V-E-D, the justice of our culture. Now go and rest our heroes. Alright, let's break this down for a second. Congratulation. Okay, that's not even close to congratulations. Okay, you have completed a great game. Okay, no you haven't. You completed an awful stain on the NES. It's not a great game. And proved the justice of our culture. How have we proved the justice of any culture? We were going out catching ghosts. It wasn't like we were lawyers that were making sure people were tried for what they did, or we were like doctors saving people's lives. We proved the justice of our culture. We were just randomly driving around catching ghosts and hitting people's cars. Now go and rest our heroes. Who's resting our heroes? This doesn't even make sense. The punctuation is so poorly placed that you can't even read a sentence. So after that, it's over. You beat the game. It's done. Uh, uh, don't don't play this. I, I don't know why they... These games... I mean, we think these licensed games are bad now, but some of these are... Alright, that's enough bad news. That's pretty much it for this week. Uh, Start Select, like I said, didn't have any episodes because their, uh, their tech stuff was messed up, so listen to an old episode of theirs if you'd like, or catch up on some of mine, whatever. I'll hopefully be having a new review up. I think I'm going to try to review Braid since I did finish it recently, so be looking for that soon. No new news on the PS4. I, I just actually just checked an article just before I started recording, and I didn't see anything that I didn't already know, so if I do get that information, I'm, I'll be sure to let you, everyone know. So I believe that's it. So we will close this week. This is Water Main, which is a remix of the Super Mario Brothers underground theme from the original game. It's by a Brad Smith. So we'll play that for you, and we'll see you off. Have a good week.